Would you turn in your Bibles to Matthew, the third chapter, and verse 8. Matthew 3, 8. The title of this message, Fruits of Repentance. Bring forth, therefore, fruits meet for repentance. When John the Baptist saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he spoke to them the words of this text. Bring forth, therefore, fruits meet for repentance. John was challenging the genuineness of the religion of the Pharisees and Sadducees who posed as spiritual lights and leaders of the Jewish people. John's word to these religious leaders were both a rebuke and an exhortation. Bring forth, therefore, fruits meet for repentance. Paraphrase what John was saying. Show me your repentance by your word. John demanded proof of repentance before he would baptize these people. He insisted on the fruits of repentance in the lives of those who profess to know God. He insisted on seeing valid evidence of true repentance. Fruits here means produce. Things produced by some tree or plant. The tree in John's figure here is repentance. And the fruits are things produced by repentance. Fruit in scripture is always seen as manifested behavior. For example, look at Matthew 7 verse 20. Matthew 7 verse 20. Here the Lord Jesus says, Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. That is, by what is produced in their lives, you shall recognize them what they are. In Acts 26.20, Paul explains this fruit by referring to it as works. Here Paul is telling King Agrippa what he had preached during his ministry but showed first unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coast of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. Now there are certain works, certain acts that are essentially dictated by repentance and which proceed immediately from it. These works are described as fruits because they're produced by the repentance in one's heart that has been planted there in regeneration. Now let's carefully note here that our text plainly or plainly distinguishes between repentance and fruits. There's a difference between repentance and fruits. Meet for repentance. Bring forth therefore fruits meet for repentance. 
fruits here means things produced by repentance. Thus, it is distinguishable from repentance itself. Now, the word meat in our text is an old English word that means fitting or worthy of. Works befitting repentance. In Luke's account of John the Baptist's words in our text, uh, he reports John as saying, bring forth fruits worthy of repentance. That's Luke 3.8. Meat means suitable to. It means appropriate to. It means in keeping with. John is saying in our text then, bring forth works that are appropriate to repentance. Works that are in keeping with repentance. Works that are fitting for repentance. Works that are worthy of repentance. Works befitting repentance. Our Lord said in Matthew 12, 33, that the tree is known by its fruit. We know an apple tree is an apple tree when we see apples on that tree. The apples prove that it's an apple tree. As a tree is known by its fruits, so is repentance known by certain works. John preached that repentance must be proved by words, by fruits. These fruits are effects of repentance and thus are proofs of the genuineness of repentance. True repentance will show itself in a person's life by its fruits. The fruit that repentance produces in the life demonstrates its genuineness. Well, in the message this afternoon, we're going to look at seven fruits of genuine repentance. Seven things in a life that are worthy or befitting or in keeping with or appropriate to genuine repentance. So I hope you'll write these down in your Bibles. Number one, a strong desire to do good work. The number one fruit of repentance is a strong desire to do good works. When a sinner truly repents, he wants to do right and he wants to do good. Now, he doesn't do good in order to repent. He does good because he's repented. It's a fruit. In his parallel account of this incident, uh, Luke gives several examples of the kind of fruit that John was talking about. Look at Luke 3, 11 through 14 here. Luke chapter 3, verses 11 through 14. <clears throat> he answereth and saith unto them, He that hath two coats, let him impart to him that hath none. And he that hath meat, let him do likewise. Then came also publicans, or tax collectors, to be baptized, and said unto him, Master, what shall we do? And he said unto them, Exact no more than that which is appointed you. And the soldiers likewise demanded of him, saying, And what shall we do? And he said unto them, Do violence to no man, neither accuse any falsely, 
and be content with your wages. Now to the general public, John said in verse 11, those who have extra clothing, give it to those who have not. And food, the same way. To the publicans or tax collectors, he said in verse 13, collect no more than you've been ordered to collect. Those Roman tax collectors were known to pad what the government required them to collect. And they kept the padded part. To some soldiers there, he said in verse 14, don't take money from people by force. Don't accuse people falsely and be content with your pay. The truly repentant person has a strong desire to do good and he actually does good. Titus 3.8 tells God's people to be careful to maintain good works. Let's turn to that. I think we ought to see these things in black and white uh, when we point them out. Titus chapter 3 and verse 8. <clears throat> Titus 3 8. <clears throat> this is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. Let's measure ourselves by that today. Are you doing good works? Do you love to do good as we're told the fruit of repentance is? A second fruit that is appropriate to repentance is a determined effort to make restitution for wrongs. A determined effort to make restitution for wrongs. When he was saved, or, or, or when before he was saved, he wronged someone, the repentant person now makes a determined effort to do everything in his power to right that wrong. Whoever has wronged others by unjust and or fraudulent dealing should make those things right with their victims restoring what has been borrowed and uh, restoring what has not been paid back or what has been stolen. When a person repents, he wants to do those things. Turn to Leviticus chapter 6 and I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. Leviticus chapter 6 verses 1 through 5. <clears throat> And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, If a soul sin and commit a trespass against the Lord and lie unto his neighbor in that which was delivered him to keep or in fellowship or in a thing taken away by violence or hath deceived his neighbor or hath found that which was lost and lieth concerning it and sweareth falsely in any of all these that a man doeth sinning therein, then it shall be, because he hath sinned and is guilty, that he shall restore that which he took violently away, or the thing which he hath deceitfully gotten, or that which was delivered him to keep, or the lost thing which he found, 
or all that about which he has sworn falsely, he shall even restore it in the principle and shall add the fifth part more thereto and give it unto him to whom it appertaineth in the day of his trespass offering. In other words, God's law required wrongdoers to return the amount stolen plus 20%, a fifth. The amount stolen plus 20%. In Luke 19.8, we read how Zacchaeus, the tax collector, made restitution according to this principle when he repented. Look at Luke 19.8. Luke chapter 19 and verse 8. Now, this is an amazing and unheard of thing in modern times. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, after the Lord had saved him, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. Zacchaeus proved his repentance was real by restoring what he had gotten through fraud and extortion plus more than 20% interest that's required by God's law. The principle behind this Old Testament law still holds good today. If you stole from your boss, if you stole from your company before Christ saved you, you need to restore what you stole with interest, if you can. If you did not pay your rent or in some way beat your bills before you were saved, you need to pay those rightful debts. They are still binding no matter how long ago it may have happened. The truly repentant sinner hastens to get rid of his dishonest gain and to restore it to its rightful owners. He restores it with interest to the injured party. If that party is dead, he restores it to that party's relatives. And if there are no relatives, he gives it to the poor. The person who repents wishes that his sin could be undone. And he does all that he can to undo that sin. When one is right with God... He tries to be right with his fellow man also. One who has slandered and damaged or destroyed the reputations and influences of others will, upon repentance, do what he can to repair those reputations. You remember the story of wicked King Ahab of Israel. How he wrongfully acquired the property of Naboth, his wife Jezebel, had Naboth murdered. And then Ahab took Naboth's vineyard for himself. Ahab later had a false repentance. He did humble himself, but he never restored Naboth's vineyard to him. Multitudes today flatter themselves that they have repented who yet refuse to make restitution for the damage they have done to other people. A person like this 
refuses to do to others as he would have others do to him. All repentance that does not make restitution is hypocritical repentance. Now, it's important to note here that making restitution is not repentance. They're not one and the same thing. It is the fruit of repentance. There is an important difference here. The third fruit that repentance produces in a person's life is a real hatred for sin. You know, Christians do have some kind of hatred in their hearts. There are several kinds of hatred. But a, a, a fruit of repentance is a real hatred for sin. The fruit of repentance is not just a, a hatred for sin's consequences. You know, they hate the thought of hell. That's not the fruit of repentance. They hate, they have a real hatred for the sin itself because sin is against God. And it is not a hatred of this or that sin, but of all sin. In Psalm 97.10, David said, Ye that love the Lord hate evil. That's not a description, that's a command. Ye that love the Lord hate evil. Proverbs 8.13 says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. The repentant person is grieved when he sees sin, wherever he sees it. He loves the Lord and he hates evil. This hatred for sin includes abhorring oneself because of his sin. You know, today, psychology is totally anti-Bible and anti-Christian. And it says, oh, we need to love ourselves. We need to have more self-esteem. Whereas the Word of God says, the sinner abhors himself. When God brought Job to see his sin Job said in Job 42 6 wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes the repentant sinner loathes himself because of his sin and his sinfulness turn to Ezekiel 20 verse 43 Ezekiel 20 and verse 43 God tells Israel what they will do when He returns them to their land and saves them. Ezekiel twenty forty three, And there shall ye remember your ways and all your doings wherein ye have been defiled. And ye shall loathe yourselves in your own sight for all your evils that ye have committed. I wonder if you hate sin like this. Does it bother you when people cuss on television, take God's holy name in vain, or you do, you just ignore it? A repentant person hates evil. Something is seriously wrong with many professing Christians today because they don't hate sin. Instead, they have given in to the world's philosophy of, well, everyone does his own thing, and who am I to judge? I saw somebody say that last night. Who am I to judge? The truly repentant person 
has a real hatred of sin. A fourth and closely related fruit of repentance is a deep desire to be finished with sin. A deep desire to be finished with sin. The repentant person has a resentment against his own sins and a deep desire never to go back to the way of self-will and self-pleasing. He is greatly concerned not to sin again as he once did, not to live a sinful life. He seeks to abstain from all appearance of evil. He has a great desire to be kept from sin, a concern not to dishonor God in his life or in his doctrine. Years ago, I was member of a church in another state and several years after I left that church two men in that church one a deacon and the other the Sunday school superintendent swapped wives they continued to claim to be Christians and even continued in the church for several years biblical repentance means that salvation is from sin, not in sin. Matthew one twenty one says that the Lord Jesus would come to save His people, not in sin, not in their sins, but from their sins. Let's turn to that and read it. Matthew one twenty one. This is a great verse of Scripture, and uh, I believe all five doctrines of grace are in it, plus a lot of other things. Matthew 1.21 Here an angel said to Joseph concerning Mary and her soon to be born son Jesus Christ and she shall bring forth a son and thou shalt call his name Jesus for because he shall save his people from their sins. Sometimes professing Christians will say I know such and such is a sin, but the Lord's not going to hold me responsible if that's all I do. Well, this is not fruits that are in keeping with repentance. This person does not have this deep desire to be finished with sin. A fifth fruit of repentance, a genuine fear of offending God. A genuine fear of offending God. A repentant person has a real fear. Not of the punishment for sin, but of offending God. Offending His grace and offending His goodness. Repentance because of the fear of hell is what is called legal repentance. It is not a genuine saving repentance. Sin strikes directly at the honor of God and the Savior. David realized this when he said to God concerning his own sin in Psalm 51, 4, against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. That's what's wrong with sin. It's against God. It offends God. The repentant sinner has a fear of offending and dishonoring God by his sin. A sixth fruit of repentance is a serious quest for holiness. A serious 
quest for holiness. Ephesians 1, 4 says that one of God's purposes in electing us to salvation was in order that we might be holy. Now, a lot of grace people ignore this, but that's one of the purposes of election. Turn to Ephesians 1, 4. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4. We're all familiar with this. According as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that's election, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. A holy life is an essential fruit of true repentance. Ephesians 4.24 says that the new man in Christ Jesus is created in holiness. Let's look at that. Ephesians 4.24 Paul says here, And that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Turn next to Hebrews 12.14. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14. This scripture tells us specifically that we as Christians are to follow holiness. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. If you're not holy, you're not going to see the Lord. The repentant person strives to practice holy living. And no repentance can be true without it. And yet we have people in the churches today who claim to have repented, but these people still dishonor the Lord's day. They still hate their neighbors. They still hate people that are different from them. They still hold grudges against their brothers and sisters in the church. They still dress immodestly. They go to Vegas. They watch dirty television and movies. They allow their kids to listen to rock music. And they worship the idols of pleasure, lust, money, and things. They do not regularly read God's word and pray. They are haphazard in their attendance at the house of God. They use God's holy day for recreation instead of worship. Finally, a seventh fruit of repentance is a zeal for God. A zeal for God. In 2 Corinthians 7.11, enlisting some of the fruits of repentance includes zeal. Now, don't turn with me at this time. We'll come back to that let me just read it. For behold, this selfsame thing, that ye sorrowed after a godly sort. There's the godly sorrow of repentance. What carefulness it wrought in you, yea, what clearing of yourselves, yea, what indignation, yea, what fear, yea, what vehement desire, yea, what zeal, yea, what revenge. In all things ye have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Now I'm focusing on Paul was commending them for their zeal. He said, what zeal? Zeal is a fervor 
It's fervor for a person, a cause, or an object. It is an eager desire or an eager endeavor. And it involves enthusiastic diligence, ardor. The repentant person has a zeal for God, a fervor for God and for His cause in this world, an eager desire, an enthusiastic diligence, an ardor for God, His glory, His doctrines, His house, and the discipline of His house. In His zeal, He is not sparing to mortify the deeds of the body and in living a holy life. Such a person in his zeal for God wants to be in God's house every time the doors are open. He wants to be involved in and participates in the work of the Lord's church. He wants to give his money to the work of the Lord. He wants to witness for the Lord and in, in word and in deed. This holy zeal burns with holy anger against all error in doctrine and breaking of God's law. An unrepentant heart, on the other hand, can go for months with no real thought of love for God or for eternal things. An unrepentant heart does not love God or His house and only goes there when he doesn't have something more important to do. Truly repentant people have this zeal for God and are not afraid of being called fanatics because of their zeal. I wonder if you have this zeal for God in your life, or have you cooled down? Maybe you never had this zeal for God at all. Well, in conclusion, I want us to turn now to 2 Corinthians 7, 11. 2 Corinthians 7, 11, because here many of these fruits of repentance are listed in the same verse. 2 Corinthians 7, 11, Or behold, this selfsame thing, that ye sorrowed after a godly sort, what carefulness it wrought in you, yea, what clearing of yourselves, Yea, what indignation. Look at that carefulness. That could be zeal. What clearing of yourselves. That uh, making restitution. What indignation. That's hatred of sin. What fear of God. What vehement desire to do good and not to sin. Yea, what zeal again. Yea, what revenge. In all things ye have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. These things, by and large, are found in every truly repentant sinner. Yet today, we have churches full of people who have come under conviction and have repented, but it's not a genuine repentance. It can't be real because it doesn't bring forth fruits, meat for repentance. If it's genuine repentance, it will produce fruit that is in keeping with repentance. Apple trees always produce apples. Truly repentant persons always produce fruits in keeping with repentance. Wherever there is true repentance, there are always the fruits of repentance. 
It is the fruit. And if the fruit is there, then repentance is there. If the fruit is not there, then yours is not a genuine repentance because a tree is known by its fruits. James 2.17 says that faith without works is dead. And so is repentance according to what we've seen today. It is vain for a person to claim to have repented if these fruits do not exist in his life. Don't try to convince yourself that you have repented if you do not have the fruits of repentance in your life. Luke 3, 9, in Luke's account of this incident, says what, it, what is to be done with trees that do not bring forth fruit. Let's turn to that. Luke 3, 9. <clears throat> what is to be done with trees that don't bring forth fruit? Luke chapter 3 and verse 9. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Unrepentant sinners will soon be cast as useless into the fires of eternal hell. Are these fruits being produced in your life? If they are, you have evidence that you have truly repented. But if they're not, ask God to give you repentance today. It has to come from Him. He will give it if you genuinely ask Him for it. Let us pray. Our Father, we're thankful for the gift of repentance. And we pray today that your Holy Spirit would grant this to any here who have never truly repented. May we all search our lives to see if these fruits are evident in it. We know by looking at these things that we can all improve. We pray that you would grant that we would do so. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.